I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by Bulwark. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Mark LaCour, here we are at episode 87. We're going to be at 90 before you know it. I I need to count forward. Do you you know when we're going to get to 100? Uh, Will she get to 100 by what, January? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be going on in the new year. That's pretty cool. Because <laughs> 2016 cannot leave fast enough. Goodness. <laughs> anyway, um, you've got some things here at the top of the uh, at the top of the show notes. Alex Bruns, who I'm familiar with, with Baker Hughes, but it says my GF and F1. So do you have a girlfriend <laughs> in an F1 race car now? Is that what's going so, on? Let me tell you how cool this is. This is such a small world. So um, I have female friends, right? My wife and I don't have the jealousies that some couples have. She has guy friends. I have girlfriends. And so one of my girlfriends reached out to me and, and she works for a technology company and they have tickets both to watch the race and uh, I think it's San Antonio and actually go to the pit. And the guy that she oh, was- Oh, this playing, is F1. This is actually yeah, happening. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so the guy that had committed to go with her um, couldn't go last minute. She goes, I literally have an hour to find somebody to replace this guy and he needs to work for an oil and gas company. So I gave her a bunch of names, one of which was Alex, and Alex agreed. So now Alex is going on all-expense-paid trip to actually be in the pits at F1 racing just because he listens to the show. So congratulations, Alex. Have fun with uh, Elizabeth. Now I'm jealous, Alex. <laughs> wow. I'm jealous, too. Wow. Oh, man, that's amazing. Well, good on her and good on, uh, good on Alex for accepting. I, I'm, I'm thinking that was probably, a, oh, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. And we also got some uh, several actually fact checks on the P- P- the Pizance question. And uh, I had it wrong. We all had it wrong. So can you fill us in? Yes. Yeah, so thanks to uh, Eric Marshall, who's a, a, a public in- um, He's a completion, engineer, yeah, completions, completions manager. manager at Fraction ID. He actually gave us the pneumatic spelling. It's actually pronounced Pionce. Yes, peons. And, and so it's interesting because um, Tim Barton Baird, from he's a service manager at Schlumberger, and I had at least one or two more people in email, and I apologize, um, I'm missing y'all. But I, I had them reach out, and they, they gave me the, the P-ants spelling, but I really appreciate that he gave it with, because now I need to know. Because, you know, I'm Catholic, so we don't say St. Augustine, we say St. Augustine. Right. right. And so it's good to know Piance is the is the correct with the with the with the vowels there. All right. What's up with Anders Wilberg? Yeah, so so Anders reached out and actually he's uh, has two events that are going on in, in uh, uh, Colorado um, that I think are really cool. Uh, one is a, a, um, an introduction, natural gas industry, um, the infrastructure regulations and the other is natural gas uh, physical and financial markets. So if you want to learn about the natural gas industry, which is, which is huge and will continue to be huge, uh, go, go to Denver on February 9th and 10th and go check out these classes. I actually wish I could go to the, the, the uh, physical and financial market. Maybe I'll see if I can uh, manage to break away and get up there. But, um, you know, big shout out for uh, Anders for uh, putting this in front of us. Yeah, definitely. February 9th and 10th, um, you can definitely hit the slopes at that time up in Denver as well. So a couple of reasons to go, but especially um, shout out to everyone up there in the Denver, in the Denver region and also getting some midstream training yeah. here. So yeah. good stuff. Good stuff. And then, um, you know, you and I will be on the road. Uh, uh, we're actually be at the Geo Convention May 15th and 19th in Calgary, Canada, 2017. 
And uh, Dustin was so nice. He actually put a package together just for our listeners. You can get us, if you want to exhibit there, and I'm telling you, the price of crude is sneaking back up. We're over $50. Things are picking up. We've made the corner. It was over 52 yesterday. Yep. This is the time to spend your marketing dollars, and this is a great place to spend it. So the special that he gave for our listeners is the standard 10 by 10 space which is uh, normally $1,800, they've reduced that to $1,600. Um, and we're also looking for some sponsorships uh, for the lunch. And when you sponsor lunch, you get a free table for you and your people. You get the opportunity to introduce the speakers and close the show. You get seat drops and brandy throughout the show and, and also on their social media. So uh, if you're an oil and gas service company, check this out. Uh, if you if you want to take care of advantage of the special, reach out to Dustin, just use our name and uh, we'll have his email in the show notes. Yeah, we'll have his email. Uh, and if you just want to remember it off the top of your head, it is Dustin at geoconvention.com. But yeah, so we'll get the prospectus um, for the speakers in there. And, you know, I got to say, Mark, you and I, we're, we got some heavy competition here because I can't remember his name. But the next person I think that speaks after us is going to be speaking on the geology of beer. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i don't know that we can top that really um I, you know what we're gonna provide some good valuable uh content for the audience at that show that's all i want to do i want people to walk away and go you know this is worth listening to oh yeah absolutely i'm just uh josh and obviously we're gonna be over delivering on value but geology of beer is a pretty good topic um all right let's get into the stories Got a short one to kick off here, but um, always looking for stories in Nigeria. And it looks like ExxonMobil is pulling out in the downstream sector. So what's going on there? Um, people blew stuff up of Exxon's, um, basically terrorists, and they're threatening Exxon people. And Exxon doesn't play that game. So Exxon says, you know what? We're out of here. So um, unfortunate for the country, you know, the largest super major on the planet has to back out because of acts of terrorism. Um, and, and, and there's some financial motivation there as well, but it's really to protect their people. So it's just, it's sad that, um, you know, a small group of, of, uh, bad people have managed to, um, damage enough facilities and threaten enough people that ExxonMobil decided that it needs to need to pull out the country. It's really sad because I mean, who else better could to teach a, and you know, the native population there, how to do this work, right? And do it right. Do it environmentally responsibly. Do it where it's profitable. Understand the the, the um, geopolitical global oil and gas game. I mean, Exxon is the king of all that. And you know, I don't blame them. I would have pulled out too. But it's just it's just sad for the Nigerian people that they're losing this. So they've got Total left, and I guess we'll continue to look at Nigeria to see if Total sticks around. Yeah, you know, the president's doing a good job there, but it's he needs more support from the people. So if you're listening from Nigeria, support your president. Yes, support him. It's uh, goodness. All right. Yeah. Moving over. This is this really caught my eye because this is something I, I th- we talk about it all the time is the technology transfer into Russia. And here we are with Seeking Alpha. Russia's Gazprom adopting U.S. horizontal fracking techniques. What's going on? Yeah. So we've talked about this a bunch that the geology that is is works well for horizontal fracking isn't a U.S. centric thing. It's all over the world, including Russia. And so Russia has been experimenting with doing horizontal fracking. They've actually fracked quite a few wells, uh, drilled a lot of verticals. Um, there's the sanctions are keeping them to from getting um, some of the technology they need. So they're 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 basically figuring it out themselves. Um, is this could be a you know, and we've talked about this before that we're in this long-term hydrocarbon abundant world. Here's a perfect example. You know, Russia's the largest producer and they're producing from conventional reservoirs. 
Now they're going to start fracking. Now they're going to start doing unconventionals. Um, so it's, it's you know, it, this is going to happen here. It's going to happen in China. It's, got, it's happening in Argentina right now. That technology is going to spread, which should just keep the prices, of oil and gas, low um, to the point that it's, uh, it, it drives prosperity for, for literally everybody, everybody on the planet. Now, one of the things that they, I don't know if they go too, too deep in here, the, the thing about fracking, in order to make money, um, you need a couple of things. You have to have the infrastructure in place, right? Roads and pipelines. Um, you also have to have the science figured out so that um, when you're fracking, it's like a, a Toyota building Camrys. It's, it's a factory. You're factorizing oil production. So um, it's going to be years and years and years before the unconventionals in Russia actually catch up with their conventional reservoirs, but they're going down that road. So that's very interesting. I saw a story that came out yesterday about uh, how China is now basically uh, picking off Kickstarter projects and selling them for less. So there was a guy who invented a selfie stick that could, uh, that was a, a, uh, a cell phone case, a cell phone case selfie stick. He was going to sell it for $48 once he got it funded in backers. And China went and said, okay, we can do this. And they did it for $8. Yeah, there's a whole industry in that, James. There's a whole industry that mines the data on Amazon and figures out what's selling. And then they'll send whatever selling to China and they'll reverse engineer it and they'll start producing it cheaper. And then the people go sell on Amazon cheaper than what's going on, but it's constantly moving. Yeah. There's that, there's a whole bunch of that sort of stuff going on, but that doesn't actually apply to what Russia well, is This is what I'm asking though. There's kind of a roundabout question, but the fact that China is further along in their understanding of fracking, we don't have sanctions there. Um, we have a communist regime there, a pseudo communist regime in Russia. Is it possible that there's some cross pollination going on there? Oh, sure there is, right? Uh, and and they're getting some cross-pollination from engineers in Canada and the U.S. and Europe. But the thing about fracking is it's, you have to have the right conditions for it to make financial sense. You have to have the infra infrastructure. We talked about that. You have to have a highly developed supply chain. And then you have to understand how to do the advanced multifaceted fracks. And you have to have the personnel. And so we're the only country that has all of that right now. It will spread. Like This is a perfect example. It's spreading in Russia, but um, it's going to be years and years and years before they get their unconventionals online in, yeah. in any type of large way. Yeah, and you look at how many decades it took for us to be able to drive down the cost and efficiencies in this, in this particular field, in this market, and we invented it. So how long would it take another country, even the size of Russia, to figure that out? Yeah, but it will happen. And this is why I've been saying people think I'm crazy. We're in a very, very, very long-term hydrocarbon abundant world. Oil and gas is going to be cheap for the next several hundred years because it's just everywhere. Mm -hmm. Perfect. All right. So I hate the title Big Oil, but here we are in the New York Times. After lean years, Big Oil may emerge stronger than ever. Yeah, this is actually a very good article. So what's happened when oil was $145 a barrel, that there was waste, rampant waste, both in processes and in finance, because money was everywhere. And we have this crash that happened that we're, that we're um, um, pulling out of right now. And so what's happened during the crash, everybody had to become more efficiency, more efficient. When you're a, a large company, somebody like Chevron, or Exxon, or BP, or Total, and you drive efficiencies throughout your entire organization, when the price comes back, that sets you up to be really profitable. So this article is talking about how the, the big guys out there at you know 40 to $50 a barrel, uh, which is the, the range that we're in now, and I think we're going to go to the 50 to 60, and it's going to stabilize between 50 and 60. Um, um, at, in that environment, they're making money. That's like the new 80. So it's, um, the, the big guys are going to do really, really well. Now, the interesting thing is um, 
some of the uh, large projects out there, multi-billion dollar year projects, which are upside down right now, as we ease, as these prices creep up, all of a sudden they become profitable. Well, when you have you know something like Chevron's Gorgon project in Australia, which was a $50 billion project, when when the Japanese and the Koreans, when Asia Pacific basically start buying all that uh, natural gas, that all that LNG, that that project would go from being upside down to making millions of dollars for Chevron, literally probably in the next couple of years. So, um, you know, the big guys know what they're doing. They've been through a lot of these downturns. We're gonna come out of this one different than any of the other ones that I've lived through. Um, Technology is playing a big role, but yeah, the big guys, the big guys, the super majors are gonna come out ahead on this. Yeah, so Michael Rothman, a veteran analyst from Quarterstone Analytics, is quoted here, whoever survives this is going to win. They're going to come out smelling like roses. And tell me if I'm wrong, Mark, but I feel like you may have predicted these efficiencies and these cost cutting, or I'm sorry, and this profit margins coming for oil and gas as much as a year ago on this very show. Yeah, I did. There's actually there's actually several articles that we're going to read today. It's like uh, they listen to our show. I said that years ago. You but said, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, New York Times, they, you know, they 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 might be slanted one way or another, but they they do do their research. So I wouldn't be surprised. We'll have to we'll have to see if we can get a shout out from them. All right. Um, let's move over to oilprice.com. OPEC can only push oil prices so high. Um, this is probably going to lead into the conversation on the next article. But let's start with this one. Yeah, so so OPEC really is starting to lose control on the global price of, of oil. They they still have a lot of influence in it, um, but this this article is is all around what's going to happen um, as if prices go up. Um, there's a couple of theories out there that prices may go over sixty dollars a barrel, maybe seventy or eighty in the near future. And there, this article is talking about how if we go that high, if it rises too high, then the uh, the cost reductions and the efficiencies that we've went through last year, so it just could disappear, which I don't think that's going to happen. Um, they're also talking about the land rush and the Permian, which is very legit. Um, what a lot of people don't understand, though, is a frack well in the grand scheme of things is relatively quick to go online, to go in production. Um, so, you know, as the price goes up, you'll have people come back online relatively quick in, in, in all of the basins, even in, in North Dakota, um, in the Bakken. So um, good article. Um, you know, and this is going to lead into the next article, which actually is, is probably, um, you know, part two of what this one is. All right. So let's jump right in then uh, with Seeking Alpha, why America will be a better swing producer than Saudi Arabia. And that's good for consumers. Um, Mark, did you write that headline? <laughs> uh, no, but you, uh, you swear they listen to the show. I've said that, you know, two years ago that we're going to be the next swing, swing producer because we are. Um, and the reason we are, if you take out the, the legal contracts from uh, the mineral rights owners to the producing companies where they have to guarantee so much production. If you take all the legalese out of it and just look at what goes on in the frack field, it's really, really inexpensive and quick to go turn up production, to go punch holes in the ground and go into production. And at the same time, it's really, really quick to back off on that production. It's not the same way with conventional reservoirs or offshore. Um, so the, the combination of the old technology, which is fracking, and the new technology, which is horizontal drilling, and the even newer technology, which is big data analytics, which is easing into this, we're going to be the next swing producer. We're going to be the country in the world that says, you know what? We want oil price to be X, so we're going to make it X. And if we need to, we can use oil prices as a weapon the same way that uh, Saudi Arabia does. So that's interesting. Then all of the conspiracy theorists will be right. That will be then price fixing. Well, you can't price fix in 
oil oil is truly a global commodity, right? So what would happen is let's say that we backed off on production to make the prices go up. China will go in production, or Russia go in production, the Middle East will go in production um, to to make that money. And so the only way you could price fix it is if you formed a new secret, I guess it wouldn't have to be secret, but a new organization where it'd have to be the Middle East, Russia, and U.S. all agreed upon doing stuff. And what are the odds, James, do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Well, I want to laugh for a moment. Um, I'm going to say there, you might want to bet the under on that one. Yeah, so because we would never agree, there is no such thing as there's no price fixing. It's 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 really truly the one of the few pure global commodities. Yeah, it definitely is. And so to walk us through some of these charts that we have here, because there's quite a bit of uh, analysis going on in this article. Yeah, so this is there's actually some good stuff in here. So they're talking about um, what happened. I don't know if you remember. Um, when Iraq and Libya uh, oil production went offline, and then at the same time, China's consumption was going up. That, that's what led to the big $145 a barrel, right? We had some production go offline while consumption increased. So they have a good graph around that. And then um, the other thing they start talking about is uh, uh, NGLs, natural gas liquids. And NGLs don't get a lot of um, attention, um, but they they should and they will. There's another chart here, and they, one of the NGL components is ethane. Ethane is the feedstock for the ethylene crackers I keep talking about, which is the building block for polyethylene, which is the plastic. There's a chart here showing all the stuff. Yeah, let me just let me just run through a few of these. Food packaging, film, trash bags, diapers, toys, housewares, siding, windows, frames, swimming pools, liners, pipelines, automotive, antifreeze, a pantyhose, clothing, carpets, tires, footwear, and sealants. Yeah. So <laughs> for all the people that want oil and gas to go away, you have to get rid of all that. That's where it all comes from the industry. And so this, you know, we've talked about this before and we've talked about it on the mic and off the mic, but export is becoming a new part of the industry. And yes, we've always exported uh, petrochemicals and and goods, refined goods, but it's the the growth of the export market is going to be monumental. Um, And so, you know, in the very near future, you'll no longer hear me say upstream, midstream, downstream and service. It'll be upstream, midstream, downstream service and export. Mm, we got a fifth one coming. Yeah. Well, I'm going to need the training on that one so I can explain it to other people. <laughs> so and, and, and technically, the export is downstream, but you're seeing a division here in the U.S. and Europe as well between fuel refining and petrochemicals. Um, fuel refining, for a bunch of reasons, um, is a low-margin business, and we're in a bit of a glut in refined fuels here in Europe, whereas petrochemical has an unbelievable high demand and a huge growth potential. So downstream is basically be split in half got it got it so this is a uh, this is self-serving and i don't have the link in the in the notes here but i wrote an article this week called oil market downturn how blogging can save your business and i don't know if you had a chance to look at that but i thought it was very well done oh thank you <laughs> thank you very much i and i'm not paying you to say that and i didn't even ask you until now um but here's the deal in and you and I've talked about this plenty of times there's plenty of companies out there that so we're talking about prices rebounding and a lot of people have have the mentality that they're going to market their businesses their business once oil prices have fully rebounded can you tell me why that's such an in in just asinine way of thinking so there's several points there so first thing is marketing is something that you need to do all the time. Um, and it's it's something that you need to do um, to make sure you have a constant influx of leads. And you look at modal point, 
you know, I, I literally push content out every week. That's, that's us marketing. Um, the problem with waiting until the price of crude comes back is all of a sudden you've lost market share. If you're out there marketing, I just had a conversation yesterday with a, a guy I met at, at Oilcom about this. There's, there's a, a digital land grab going on out there, especially in oil and gas. There are a lot of companies out there that have no strong marketing presence online. So if you're a smaller company and you want to compete with, say, Slumberjays through tubing services and you market it right, I'm telling you, you, you can, can do compete that. with them. And and Slumberjay won't be able to catch up with you when the pr price comes back. Um, you know, we do it. If you're bored, type in your computer, oil and gas sales experts. Look who comes up, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm not paying for that, right? That's free. Now think about that for my business. Anybody on the planet that types in oil and gas sales experts, they see me first and my phone rings. You can do the same thing. And if you're listening to this and you want to do the same thing, the easiest way to do is do what I did. Just talk to James. I appreciate that commercial, but I'm, I'm serious about this digital land grab. This is something I've been talking about a lot, and I mentioned it in the article, is that you know there, this land grab that's happening, it's, it's not in the form of leases. It's in the form of keywords that your prospects are searching for. They're searching for your services, and you could, you could think of the most obscure, bizarre part name or number, you know, the, the B2719 you know, pipe. I need some of that. You can type something that obscure into Google and you'll find that there's 50 to 200 people that are searching that every month. Yeah. And, and the other part of this is, you know, we talked earlier about how I said this industry has fundamentally changed its downturn like it's never changed before. One of the big changes is we're losing a lot of knowledge. A lot of old guys, and yes, I'm about that age too, so I got to quit saying old guys, but a lot of the old guys have taken packages and left. Well, they knew all the vendors. They knew where to get the pipes and the pumps and the valves from because they've done it for 35 years. The new MBA that's going to take his place, never been in the field. You know, what he, you know how he's going to find stuff? He's going to Google it. And if, if you're not setting your business up to be found that way, you're in a very, you could be in a very bad place very soon in the future. That's a really great uh, place for me to actually plug. I haven't even talked to you about this. I just had the interview with Kip Bodner, who is the CMO, the chief marketing officer at, at HubSpot. Talked to him for a 0.5 episode yesterday, and we're going to be pushing that out next week. We go deeper and deeper into all of this stuff. So thanks for uh, letting me be a little self-serving there, Mark. But it's, I think it's a really important conversation. It, it really is. It's, it's, if you're an oil and gas industry, especially if you're a service company, and you don't have a sound marketing presence, you're, you're go, you're, one of your competitors is going to take you out. And when I say in the very near future, I don't mean 10 years. I mean probably two or three years. I, personally, when we're talking about search rankings, I mean six to 12 months. Honestly, that's that's how quickly you can take these things. And we've you and I've done it several times at this point. right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, let's uh, let's let's pivot over here. This Texas unicorn is ready for a rare oil IPO. Yeah. So in the Silicon Valley world, which I uh, have touched quite often, I have a lot of clients in there. Uh, any company that's could do one billion or above on their IPOs is called a unicorn. It's rare. It almost never happens. You know, just, that's why it's called a unicorn. Anyway. Uh, this, uh, this company is two buddies, two high school buddies put this company together. And you know what they did, James? Tell me about it. When all these distressed assets, right, when oil was tw tw down to $29, $30 a barrel, they started buying assets for pennies on the dollar. See, and this right? is what we've been talking about, yeah. that, that there's going to be geniuses who stepped in and bought up assets, and here you go. Yeah, so it's uh, Sellers and Campbell, um, and they got in the business in, in 2008 after the housing crash because they're both realtors, and the, and the housing crash is not good for realtors. And um, th I mean, they scraped 
to gather pennies and they borrowed monies off their personal credit cards. They got bank loans. And instead of going out and doing this online, they actually went and drove around Texas and Louisiana and met with the, the landowners that usually are small farmers and did handshake deals, right? And they would do two to 500 acres at a time. Then once they got a big block together, they would sell this block off to the drillers like Chesapeake, Chesapeake Energy or Devon. So their, their business was set up for future success. And I don't know if you remember me saying this when the crash first happened. I said, there are people out there that are making good decisions and bad decisions. And when the price comes back, some companies are going to go out of business and some people will be millionaires. Oh, I remember here's, it very well. Here's perfect example that these guys are getting ready to go IPO for $3 billion. Billion. Right? So, billion, right? So, I mean, just you know, hats off to both of them for thinking ahead, figuring out how to make this happen and going out there and doing the work. You know, driving around, you know, South Texas, East Texas, you know, um, West Louisiana, uh, that's just a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of rural area, a lot of farmers. So, um, you know, they did the right thing, and they're go, they're going to be um, they're they're getting ready to celebrate their success. Yeah, now sitting on sixty five thousand net acres of oil rich land in the Permian Basin that they've scooped up in the last two years alone. Yeah, you know how much that's worth. I, I can tell you, actually, three, <laughs> yeah. three billion dollars. Right, <laughs> it's worth three billion billion so um so really this is a this is a call to action for everyone out there and we say that we say it all the time but don't just sit sit on the sideline and just moan and groan and wait for the prices to come back go out there and make it happen to the tune of three billion dollars yeah now really nothing against realtors but if two realtors can pull this off what would two all guys do I mean, yeah, you know, so yeah, you're right, James. Well, see, that's part of the problem, though, is two oil guys would see things the way they've always seen things and maybe not do it as well, right? No, it, no you're, you're right. That is, it's a cultural thing. And they, they just wait for the price of crude to come back. They don't look for new opportunities. It's, it's, um, I love my industry. I, I mean, I really have a passion for this industry, but sometimes it's a little aggravating. Yeah. Well, so another lesson learned here, maybe recruit a guy or, or a gal from outside your industry every now and again and ask and actually take them seriously when they point things out. Yeah. Um, Seeking Alpha, again, oil production changes in the Niobrara. Yeah. So this, this Daniel Jones, um, hats off you, Daniel. I thought I did deep data mining into stuff. Oh my God, did he go deep in this with as far <laughs> as the data? Um, but, but basically, the the um, there's a decline rate, right? And then of course, there's a decline rate because we're in this low crude price market. And what he's trying to do is predict what's going to happen in the future. And so he did a lot of data mining. He he did he did some really good statistical analysis. Like this guy knows what he's doing. Like let me go scroll down. What does he do? For, what is he for a living? He doesn't say what he does for a living. But anyway. He, he somehow he has to be in statistical analysis or he has to be a, an engineer. Of some he sort. says it, it's a, on his byline. It says deep value, value, contrarian, special situations. That's that's what he specializes in. Yeah. So so basically, if you look at a year over year output basis, the outputs could be a little lower at the end of this year than it was last year. But then he's expecting that the outputs could start creeping back up in 2017, which I, I agree with 100 percent. He just has the mathematical model to prove it. So anybody who's listening that doesn't know, uh, what, what are we talking about here with decline rates? So decline rates can mean a lot of things. In this article, he's talking about the, the intentional backing off in production, which is a decline rate. Usually when we talk about decline rate in the frack fields, in the shale fields, it's that the well produces its peak early on and then it declines. That, but that's not the decline rate he's talking about here. All right. So he's talking about guys in the Niobrara, operators in the Niobrara intentionally dry, um, backing off. 
Yeah. Cutting the cutting the, the valve off. Got it. And so, given that they're who, who's involved in this cutting things down, I see Memorial a, Approach Legacy. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's the the smaller operators out there. And what's going on is the price of crude is at well today it's at fifty two dollars. When did he write this article? Because I, I this article has to be seventeenth too. So yeah. yeah, a little last three days ago. <laughs> Yes, I would suspect that. I mean, I know he's right. My gut just tells me he's right that the decline will continue. But as the prices creep back up, people start going back in production. Right, right. And so, and so, we'll just kind of see a normal market fluctuation there. Yeah, yeah. But he did the math. If if you want to see how to do statistical analysis on a well, ch- check what he did. He did a really fant- He did a deep, fantastic job on this. Awesome, awesome. All right. So uh, we talked before we pressed record on this next one. You're saying they don't even mention oil in here. Why are we? Gonna, but but we decided to keep it in because I do believe it. We both believe it's uh, it's topical. So federal antitrust authorities step up merger enforcement. Recent victories buoy enforcers. Yeah. So, so what happened is our current administration early on uh, last year, maybe two years ago, got a lot of public outcry because they said they weren't being aggressive enough for um, uh, antitrust sort of mergers, right? Uh, think about the Halliburton Baker Hughes thing. And so what happened is both the Department of Justice and the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, is starting to step up enforcement. I, 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 and, and, and this article goes through in detail what's going on. The problem is with on the Democratic side of the House, um, they tend to not like big companies. On the Republican side of the House, they tend to support big companies. So um, I, I think they've went a little bit too far, both um, the Department of Justice and Federal Trade Commission. I think they're being a little bit too heavy-handed. Uh, the Halliburton-Baker-Hughes merger didn't go through because, quite honestly, Halliburton, even though they, they were able to um, – talk to both the DOJ and uh, FTC and say, okay, we'll spin this off, we'll sell this off or whatever. It was just too much work. And so Halliburton said, you know what, we're, we're not doing it. It would have helped both companies a lot to merge. It would have helped save jobs. And it would still be competitive because you'd have Slumber's Day, which was still bigger than the Baker Hughes Halliburton deal. So I just think they're a little bit heavy handed there. I, to- I totally get uh, antitrust stuff, right? You don't want somebody to have a monopoly, but if you have competitors in the market, it's not a monopoly. So, um, you know, from a political point of view, I think they're a little bit too heavy handed. Let's see what happens after after this election and see where this goes. I have to laugh when I say this. election. Yeah, but, is yeah. it even it doesn't even feel like one um, <clears throat> other than the pain of going through it, uh, which is much higher. And I don't want to get into that whole situation. The one thing that I can say to sidestep the the actual issue of who's getting elected is is the fact that a lot of people don't think about that. When someone new is elected, that doesn't mean everyone in the Department of Justice loses their job. No, no, no. And and, and whoever leads the country, whoever's the president, they can't do much by themselves. They have to get Congress to help them with. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that people in, um, you know, FTC and um, DOJ need to lose their jobs. I, I think the administration needs to just have a conversation with them saying, y'all need to back off just a little bit. Well, that, Whatever administration's there. Well, I guess that's uh, my point is, though, is that regardless of the administration, if you could just imagine a company that, you know, has a, a head change in the CEO that doesn't automatically change the culture of the organization. And no. so and so this, in my view, is something that's going to continue to be an issue no matter who's in charge. And it's something that we need to be talking about. Yeah, you know, no, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. All right. So, what is the biggest opportunity right now in oil and gas? Is it offshore? 
Believe it or not, yes, it is. Okay. Um, All right. This is a total uh, step change from what we've talked about before. So tell me about it. So what's happening is in certain parts of the world, their economy is tanked because it's low crude price. So um, we've talked before about Brazil and their local content po- uh, rules where you can't go drill for oil in Brazil unless you form a joint venture with their state-owned oil company, Petrobras. And you have to have X amount of Brazilians working on your company, and you have to buy X amount of your stuff from Brazil. Well, you know what, James? The, the, the president just changed all of that. Now Shell can go in and buy a lease and, and drill, which is how it should have been. <laughs> um, and, and I get the nationalization of the, of the oil fields because you want to protect your people. But in Brazil's case, their own politicians ruined this from corruption. And so, oh, yeah. Well, we just, uh, I shared the, texted you the story about the indictment they had down yeah. in Brazil with the 19 year senator, I want to say. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's rampant. That type of corruption is rampant through Brazil. And what happened is all this opportunity for Brazilian people have been ruined by corruption. So the, the, and right now, Brazil, inflation is through the roof. Unemployment is unbelievably high. I mean, it's just horrible there. So this will help fix that. When Shell comes in and Exxon comes in and Total comes in and starts drilling, they'll have to stay at Brazilian hotels. They'll hire Brazilian people. Um, they have to have, you know, food for their, their employee, you know. And so it puts, starts putting money back in the economy. And because it's not going through Petrobras, the, the risk of corruption isn't there. Now, will it be as much money going back into the economy as it was before? No, but it's, it's what they need now. And so there's an offshore opportunity, and there's other offshore opportunities. What's happened um, in this downturn is, we've talked about this a million times, but people have driven prices out, right? The, the drilling contractors have cut their day rates, you know, 40, 50, 60%, but they're still making money. Um, there's a whole fleet of uh, cold stack rigs around Asia Pacific. Those rigs probably won't come back online. They'll probably have newer, uh, more modern rigs that will be built to take advantage of this stuff offshore. So um, I want to warn people here. Offshore does not mean ultra deep water, right? Mm. Ultra deep water is still expensive. Offshore means things like shelf, conventional reservoirs, and some deep water, but not not the ultra deep water. What do you mean by shelf? Um, The continental shelf in the Gulf of Mexico. So in the Gulf of Mexico, you have the shelf, which is basically like a – um, you know, the, the water's only, uh, I think the water's only 300 foot deep for like hundred miles. <laughs> then it drops off. And then that's when you start getting into 10,000 feet of water. So the, the, the shelf in the Gulf of Mexico is still good. There's still good money to be made, uh, in the North sea, although that is declining. Um, we talked about earlier, the big opportunity there, nobody seems to figure it out yet is decommissioning. Cause that's, that's, there's a lot, billions and billions of dollars made there. Um, so, so as these prices and efficiencies affect offshore, and as the price of crude creeps back over fifty dollars, all of a sudden these projects, in a lot of places offshore, are viable. And so, there's big opportunity there. Yeah, and so we've you just mentioned the shelf, and I'm glad we mentioned that because there's a big portion of this article talking about BHP uh, being brought into Mexico because we've mentioned it. You've mentioned it several times on the show. Their their bid. Uh, auction was a disaster, right? It was. It was a disaster. It's also kind of embarrassing for them because literally nobody bid on anything. Yeah, and so they had to say, "Hey, BHP, please come and look look at our records and see if you can make us some money." Right? Yeah. So BHP is 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 doing some deep dive into the geology out there. It's be interesting to see. There's oil there. It's just the Mexican government for the longest time had the rules, the laws uh, written in such a way that that the Mexican government did everything and. 
they're they're nowhere near as good at it as somebody like um, you know BHP or Exxon or Chevron. So now the they actually got the laws rewritten thanks to the president, and so you're starting to see a lot of foreign companies that can help actually help with things like well stimulation look in Mexico. And the other thing that I went to the Latin America Energy Conference a couple of weeks ago, and the other thing I found fascinating is the number of pipelines that are being built between Texas and uh, Mexico mm. to bring natural gas into Mexico because Mexico's demand for electricity is going up, I mean, like ridiculous, like 40% every year. And so Texas is going to supply the gas to Mexico to run their electrical generation plants, which benefits Texas, benefits the people of Mexico, and it benefits the environment. Yeah, all, winter, winter all around. And winter all around. So we just mentioned about, you know, if, if the CEO changes, you don't get a ch- cultural change. I want to drill down real quick on this whole issue of American companies going and stealing, quote unquote, stealing oil and so forth. Because I think the way that you th- that people tend to think about that is it's predicated on the on the 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 notion that the local government and the local people are going to be better at running things because they are working for the government. And as if corruption doesn't happen anywhere else, I guess the the thing that I'm looking to discuss here is the fact that not only are the people who are staffing BHP and Shell and so forth better at deploying the technology to do the work, they're also not going to be corrupt officials that are you know, siphoning off millions and billions of dollars for their buddies, the, the money can actually go to the people who need it. Yep, you're, you're exactly right, exactly spot on. And the other thing is, when Shell goes to Brazil to drill, don't think they're doing it for free. Shell pays the government. Shell pays for a lease, just like they pay here in the Gulf or North Sea or anywhere else. And so that money goes directly to the government. Here in the U.S., the biggest oil and gas company actually is the federal government. The federal government makes more money from oil and gas than anybody else, more than Exxon or Shell or Chevron, anybody. And, and you know, so the companies pay for it. That money goes back into the economy some shape or fashion, depending on how the government uses that money. Right. And so just because an outside company comes in, specifically maybe a lot of white men from America, it doesn't necessarily – it actually means – I shouldn't say necessarily. It means nothing in the terms of quote unquote stealing or anything like that. It's actually giving, giving back to the population there. Yeah. And, and let me just tell you, um, all of the majors, all of them and all the big service companies, when they go to a country like this, they help. Right. So in Nigeria, every oil and gas company, I know that stood up schools to train engineers, right? That's, that's Exxon's people teaching them those schools. Right. Um, you know, in Brazil, they help with technology, also help with education. They help fight disease. Uh, they build hospitals. So they, they bring a lot of prosperity in that's never talked about. It's one of the things that I love my industry, but we never, never pat ourselves on the back in the public eye. You know, we've talked about this before on the show, but ExxonMobil spends more money fighting malaria than anybody else in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you never hear that. You never hear that. Chevron does the same thing fighting AIDS. Right. You, you never hear that. And, and because we have the, we're in the point in history where we have such a huge social media and because a few people can cause such a big fuss, the anti-oil and gas people on social media, I think we need to start patting ourselves on the back. Not bragging, but let's talk about what we really do. Yeah, we need to talk more about that Give Us Back show that we've been talking about. Let's yeah. talk about that offline. Okay, um, let's wrap things up with expert. Region could eventually have six ethane cracker facilities. Um, you know, the ethane party keeps on going. 
Yeah, it's uh, so they're talking about the uh, Beaver County uh, where Shell's building a ethylene cracker. And, you know, if you've listened to the show, you know, I've been saying this for years that it's coming. Now we're in the middle of people starting to build these things. And, and this is the, not in Texas, by the way. Beaver County is up north. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, uh, where it's actually in, is it Ohio? Yeah, it's, it it's, uh, it's Western Pennsylvania. Western Pennsylvania. Okay. So what happens is it's the perfect recipe. They have tons of cheap gas. Um, they have the infrastructure, right? Both pipelines to move the gas um, and also roads and rivers uh, to bring the finished products to market. And they have a labor force there. So it's the, and a good labor force. So it's the perfect place to actually stand up ethylene crackers. So this article is about how Shell's the first one there. And what's going to happen is as Shell builds this uh, ethylene cracker, the local workforce will get trained, right? How do you build an ethylene cracker? That will then lower the cost which is pretty cool to other companies because now there's an ethylene cracker trained force there. And so other companies will then come in um, because they can build an ethylene cracker a little bit cheaper than Shell, who was first. Now, of course, Shell's benefit is their first to market because they're first. And so the, this analyst says that he thinks eventually they'll have six ethylene crackers there, which is going to make that part of the country uber prosperous. If they get six ethylene crackers, I mean, there's going to be jobs everywhere. They're going to line their streets with gold. And, you know, I mean, it's just, oh my it's goodness. Be, yeah. It's, and, and that part of the country from an economic point of view has suffered for years. So it's good for the people there. Yeah. The area has tons of brownfields that are ideal for use, just like what Shell did with the old horsehead plant. He said, rail, barge, highways, everything is already there in place. Yeah. And so, you know, I, we've talked about this before. We've talked about on this show about how we're moving to this export market. Here is a, a company building the facilities to start exporting um, ethylene. Perfect. And, and we mentioned Pennsylvania, so that wraps up our normal stories. Uh, apologies to the listeners, Mark. You didn't hear it, but there was a brief music play um, because uh, in place of our Onion of the Week, we're going with Pittsburgh Dad, Dad for President, and I'm going to play just a brief minute not that you can hear it or even care mark <laughs> but here i go with uh pittsburgh dad for president baltimore you're moving to your own special private island alcatraz or wherever that nicholas cage tom brady well I'm, I'm sending him down to that guantanamo's bay <laughs> he's been terrorizing the steelers for over 15 years foreign trade we don't need any of that crap from china because all that stuff breaks you just remember that little remote control car you had with a wire attached to it? You just played with it for 10 minutes and it broke. Garbage. Domestic market. Hills Department Store. I'm bringing it back. Transgender restrooms. Why the hell would Optimus Prime need to go to the bathroom? So <laughs> Okay, that's enough. Mark, you didn't hear it. Transgender restroom. Why the hell would Optimus Prime need to use the bathroom? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Um, all right, so I'll have the rest of that in the show notes, um, and I'll clean up the audio a little bit in post. Um, let's move on to Bulwark. They have a winner, and this man is actually resides in my hometown of Lansing, Michigan, believe oh, it or not. how cool is that? Yeah, it's amazing. So go ahead, Mark. Uh, congratulations, Jerry uh, Paquette. Paquette. Paquette, manager at the Landman LLC. You have won the Bulwark Long Sleeve Two Tone Base Layer, the fashion accessories on Gasset for 2016. Yeah, and he's going to be rocking it up there and staying warm in Lansing, Michigan. Um, I know Paquette because it's a lot like Marquette, Michigan. Um, and so, yeah, let's let's connect offline, Jerry. I'd love to uh, love to hear hear what you got going on up there. If anybody out there wants to win their own 
Bulwark Two-Tone Bass Layer. Go to bulwark.com forward slash podcast, B-U-L-W-A-R-K.com forward slash podcast. And thanks to everyone who continues to support our sponsors. We can't do this show without them. Events on deck. Mark, we have something going on in Berlin, Germany. We're not going to be there, though. You know, James, I actually got invited to go. I just can't go to Germany. Plus, uh, they weren't going they to pay for my travel. So, Well, um, I mean, come on. Um, so uh, this is the EPC project management um, show in uh, Berlin, Germany, and it's all about cost control for both power and the oil and gas industry. Uh, EPC is engineering procurement and construction. There's think companies like Floor, uh, that's the EPC company. So if you're if you're in that world, both either oil and gas or power, and you're wanting to learn new techniques, new processes, um, you know ways to reduce costs while at the same time do, completing more. Uh, um, complex projects go check this thing out and if you go let us know because i really wanted to go to this and i'm, I'm curious you know uh, what's it gonna be like doing this in germany who's like the mecca of of precision manufacturing oh yes when we have no small number of people that listen overseas so please if you uh if you're in the neighborhood and you check it out let us know and then here more closer to home actually in our backyard here oil and gas future logistics happening october 26th and 27th over at the houston marriott and the galleria so what's this about Yes, yeah, so this is pretty cool stuff. This is basically looking at what's going on in the industry from a logistical uh, point of view. Like, how do you decrease cost? And so they're going to be looking at things like infrastructure sharing. I wonder where they got that from. Uh, supply chain consolidation. I wonder where they got that from. Technology adaptation. <laughs> um, and, and to, to help drive lower costs and, and, and uh, more efficiencies in the logistic world. So it's right here in Houston, Texas. If uh, you're in that world, that supply chain logistics uh, project management type world, go check this out. Yeah, check it out. Um, and then in terms of QA, I, I said uh, several times on the last show, we need more questions. We need more questions. And they have been rolling in, Mark. So oh, awesome. thanks to everyone who's who's continuing. And by all means, uh, don't let up. We need plenty more questions for each show. Um, and if we you know run long, then we can always just push them to next month or however this is going to work out. But for everybody out there that's a huge fan of the Q&A show, just get us more questions and you'll get more answers. So um, go ahead. Yeah, and remember what we talked about at the very top of the show about how um, Alex Bruns, who listens to the show, is going with one of my female friends to the F1 races. <laughs> That's right. So, so I'm telling you, send us questions. You may never know how that may help you in the future. Yeah, that may help you in the future. <laughs> That's so bizarre. And, you know, we always have to reinforce the fact that we have nothing to do with any of this. But, you know, it's just karma. It just comes back at you. Um, and then for reviews, Mark, we got zero ratings and reviews for this show. Oh, oh come on, people. We know who you are. <laughs> we, we see the numbers. Um, you know, if you haven't left us a review, please take the couple minutes to leave us a review. If you have less of, left us a review, I thank you from the bottom of my heart because it really not only helps us in the search engine rankings, but it helps other people see that we're a good show and they might want to listen to it. Yeah, so we're, we're sitting at 118 right now. We need to get to a 200. Let's let's everybody help us get on up to 200. And also, you're over at 18 right now on the Oil and Gas HSC podcast. So why don't you plug that pretty hard, not only for reviews, but what are you doing over there? Because people are starting to listen. Yeah. So uh, if you don't know, we have another podcast, Oil and Gas HSE, Health, Safety, Environments, Patrick Pister, myself. And James, one of the things that we figured out is um, people love when we interview. So we've interviewed the head of HSE with Pacific Drilling. We're getting ready to um, um, interview the head of HSE with Apache, with uh, National Oil Well. Wow. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And on and on and on and on. So you get to hear behind the scenes what's really going on from the leaders in HSE and in the industry. And from a business point of view, you know, this industry 
HSE is probably the most valuable business metric because nobody wants anybody to get hurt in this industry. Everybody in this industry wants everybody else to go home safe at night. And we're trying to help with that. So uh, if you listen to this show, check the other one out. We will we'll be happy to have you uh, join us. Yeah. So you can get the link in the show notes to the show. You can also search, uh, go to oil and gas, oil and gas global network.com. That's where that show lives and where all of our future shows will live. Um, or you can, you know, email me, tweet me, I'll get you the link. However, or the last easiest way is to go into, uh, just go into iTunes and search oil and gas, not the ampersand, but oil and gas. And um, it pulls up, I want to say the fifth or sixth right now. So more more reviews we get on that show, it'll drive it up and be right next to this show eventually. Um, LinkedIn group still going strong? Yep. If uh, you listen to this show, if you listen to hs and show, if you want to uh, hear about what we're doing next first, go join the LinkedIn group. It's the family for all of our podcasts, and it's where we make all the announcements first of anything that we're doing, either live events or any new shows that are coming out. All right, trybrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn for that. Where can they get the show notes, Mark? Uh, they can get the show notes. <laughs> I love putting you on the spot. Trybrocket.com forward slash TW87. Yes, there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but seriously, if you listen to the show, go check out the show notes. It makes it, James puts a lot of work to make it easy for you to click on all these articles, um, all the, the, uh, the, uh, the ways to enter for the prizes that we give away, um, our Twitter handles, our email addresses, everything's in one place. It's all clickable. It makes it very easy for you, the listener. Yeah, you, the listener, or the person who wants to hire us to speak at your event. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we're running out of time, so we'll, we'll save the plugs for, for there, but we will finally wrap up by saying please share the show with your friends. You can do that very easily online by going to tribrocket.com forward slash share li, shares that on LinkedIn, forward slash share tw, shares that on Twitter, and forward slash share fb for Facebook. You ready to go, Mark? Yeah. So folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. Honestly, I'm so freaking jealous. Yeah, it's um. He's gonna be I, in I the pit, in the crew, in the pit. He's James. They're paying for his hotel room. They're paying for him to get up there. He's gonna actually get to watch the race. He has a pit pass. Could be in a pit. I mean, that's gonna be really cool. That son of a gun. Yeah, good for him. Brought to you by Oil and Gas this week. Yep. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you. See ya. Bye.